Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. Show with Andy Peck. Welcome to the show that helps you lead according to God's purposes. The word leader or leadership is variously understood from one local church to the next and certainly from one nation to the next. Well, this week I'm joined by someone who is responsible for seeing how a global ministry on leadership training and development can flourish. His name is Scott Cochran, who serves on the executive team for the Global Leadership Network, formerly Willow Creek Association, as Vice President of International Ministries. Prior to joining the GLN, he was the Executive Pastor of Trinity Baptist Church in Kelowna, British Columbia, and provided leadership to the Global Leadership Network, Canada. So welcome, Scott, to The Leadership Show. Thank you, Andy. It's very, very good to be with you today. Great, great to chat. Um, typically ask folk for their journey to the present role that mm, they're in. Sure. Just a brief kind of biography to help listeners understand who you are. Well, I certainly never thought that I would be uh, here with you today, nor even in my role, and based in Chicago. I am, as you pointed out, I'm Canadian. Uh, grew up in uh, British Columbia, uh, originally from Vancouver, and then later moved to the city of Kelowna that, that you referenced. Uh, my faith was always an important part of, of my journey. I was raised in a, in a Christian home. I, I made my own decision for Christ when I was probably five or six years old, uh, although I often emphasize that uh, I think I, I became a Christian when I was five or six, but I think I became a disciple when I was about 20, and that was when I was in university. Maybe it's, it's a, an improper distinction, but it, it was uh, in university that I really realized that I had to distinguish between the faith of my parents and my family and my church and my own faith. And, and I think that was an important kind of turning point for me. Although even having done that, I never saw myself in a career in full-time ministry. In fact, uh, Andy, I was I was uh, uh, directed, I was going to be a sports journalist. Being Canadian, my life was really all about ice hockey. And uh, I'd learned by this time that I was never going to be a professional hockey player, but at least I could cover the sport. And in fact, I did that in my, in my early days as a sports uh, journalist anyways. But you know, I guess God had different plans for me, and I ended up uh, uh, building my own marketing business, and one of the, uh, I guess you could call it pro bono or, or free services I offered was to this fledging little ministry that was starting in Canada. This was in the, in the mid-1990s by this time, uh, called the Willow Creek Association Canada. And uh, for reasons that I'll discuss later on, it had had a huge impact on my own life. And I really wanted to help them out and to, for them to help as many churches as possible in Canada. That ultimately led to me actually stepping into a role with that ministry. And I served in the Canadian ministry for a number of years. And uh, then in 2011, 2012, the global impact of the summit was really picking up a lot of steam and a lot of momentum. And uh, the leadership of the organization here in Chicago asked if I would even consider coming down here to help uh, with this global movement. 
And after a great deal, deal of, uh, of prayer, my wife, Nora, and I uh, recognized that we thought God was in this. And so in 2012, we picked up stakes and said goodbye to our family, our friends, our church, our home, our country, and came down here to uh, Chicago. And we've been here ever since. Wow, it's quite a quite a story, Scott. Um, I mean, it's easy this side of the pond for people to equate Canada with the United States. I'm sorry, mm. sorry, we do that. Um, but I understand that uh, British Columbia is regarded as the most irreligious province in Canada. Is that something you were especially aware of growing up, or because you were in a Christian home, was it just like, well, that's life? Probably more of the latter. But I think as I grew in my sort of uh, cultural and spiritual awareness, I, I think what I really saw was that the 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 depth of uh, maybe national faith and even the prominence of the church that I was aware of in the United States. And, and because Canada is so close to the United States, you can't help but be bombarded by American media and television and movies and so on. And, and so growing up, you get this picture of, of a country that seems to be rooted in a very strong Christian faith tradition. And that was quite different than, than the world I knew in Canada. Now, to be clear, and especially in British Columbia, that did not make it an unpleasant or unhappy experience. In fact, we continue to, to love Canada. I, I love British Columbia. In fact, we plan to retire back there again one day. But we were certainly aware that even in my lifetime, I was born in 1962, and it was right around that time. I don't know if I can claim any personal responsibility for this, but that's when Canada's spiritual uh, trajectory was changing. Up until really the 1940s, 1950s, Canada and the United States shared a very similar, I would call, spiritual demography, okay? The, the, the state of the church and, and so on are quite different. By the 1960s, Canada went down a very different path for a variety of reasons that we can't uh, unpack here. But the way I've often framed it, Andy, is that in my lifetime, I experienced Canada in general and British Columbia in particular go from a place where faith was cultural to a place where faith was optional, and now to a place where faith is objectionable. So growing up, it, it was a place of cultural faith. Uh, to whatever the term means, one could say that Canada was a Christian country, whatever that means. Later on, uh, we, we could you could uh, perceive the shift from this cultural faith to a place where faith was at least optional. You know, there was nothing particularly wrong with being a, a person of faith and so on. Whereas it, it really could be said that in Canada today, and this, I think, is true in many other parts of the Western world, uh, Europe and so on, faith can be quite objectionable. Sure, no, that's, that's a really helpful uh, distinction. I like, you're obviously a preacher with those three points. <laughs> cultural, <laughs> I couldn't get, them, I couldn't get cultural, the alliteration. Optional, <laughs> objectionable, very good, I like it. Splendid. So um, you served as executive pastor of Trinity Baptist mm. Church in Kelowna, British mm. Columbia. So describe the church for us. Sure. Well, when we, when my wife and I began attending the church, probably the best adjective I could use to describe Trinity Church was it was typical. And by typical, I meant it was a prototype of what you would experience in most churches, I would say, uh, across Canada. It was a, uh, a healthy little congregation of about 300 people. This was in the, the mid-1980s when we began attending that church. And uh, if I were to describe our vision at that time, it was probably to hold services again next week. You know, that was really the scope and the extent of what yeah. we dreamed that the God might want to might want to do through our church. It was it was fine. It was typical because really at that time, I would say that most churches in Canada 
we're in the same in the same place. You know, let's let's sort of muddle along. Let's see if we can hold services again next week. Now, I don't want to paint too bleak a picture. There were certainly lighthouses across the country. You know, places where uh, there was true life and vitality and so on. But by and large, churches in Canada at that time were very sleepy. I would say, and, and I think the the church that we began to to attend, Trinity, in Kelowna, British Columbia, would have been in that category overall. A sleepy little Baptist church in a beautiful part of the country. So obviously, we're we're, we're looking at the leadership dimensions of uh, of, of local church life, and. Uh, Perhaps reflecting on your time there, your executive pastor as opposed to kind of a teaching pastor, but um, what were the, some of the key areas where you saw change that perhaps could be traced to a leadership approach or a change or a vision or something like that? Sure. Well, the, the, the man who hired me, our pastor, uh, his name is Tim Schroeder, and uh, Tim and I went on to become very, very good friends and ministry colleagues and, and so on, and what began to happen there, God was really awakening something in Tim. And, and he, he once put it this way, Andy, you, you know, the, the Bible teaches very clearly, especially in Paul's letters, about the various gifts in the body of Christ. You know, Paul teaches about the, you know, the, the gift of hospitality and the gift of serving and, and the gift of helps and, and so on. And Paul also makes it very clear that a gift, even though the gift of leadership is certainly one of the gifts, Paul writes about this in Romans, he does not elevate it above the other gifts, okay? But this was something that Tim, I think, began to awaken to. He, he would often say that, you know, the gift of leadership is not more important than the other gifts, but it is distinct. And the distinctiveness of the leadership gift, he would say, is that the leadership gift is the one gift that allows all the other gifts to flourish. Uh, that was a powerful insight. In, in other words, he would describe it how you know, in our church, as with every church across the UK and around the world, you have people with the gift of hospitality, people with the gift of administration, people with the gift of helps, and so on. But when you drop a growing leader into the midst of that, suddenly all those other gifts can flourish. That's what God has done with the gift of leadership. So what Tim began to wrestle with was how can God use that truth to help us maximize what God wants to do in our particular local congregation? And that could have taken on a number of forms. In our particular case, it happened to coincide with our uh, interaction with the Global Leadership Summit. So we're in the mid-1990s now, and the first summit was held in Chicago here at, at uh, Willow Creek Church uh, in 1995. And one of the things that Tim began to understand as well, and that as his executive pastor, I began to understand, is that whatever God was stirring up in terms of an awakening of leadership in our church, we need to share this with as many people as possible. And so we began to take teams of, of, of people from our church down to the summit in Chicago. This was before the summit became available in, uh, in Canada. And uh, God began to do something remarkable. It, what, what he began to do through the summit was to give us a, a renewed vision, not only for what could happen uh, within ourselves, but then within our church and within our community. I think one of the first things that, that began to happen in this season, if I could really personalize this, was kind of an awakening of my own leadership gift. 
and, and a recognition that this was something that I had a responsibility to steward. And so there was a real sense of personal transformation taking place. And as I began to talk to others from our, our team who would come down to Chicago for, for these summits, the same thing was happening in their hearts as well. So there was a personal transformation taking place, but then we, we quickly began to see a kind of a church-wide transformation taking place as well. We really began to see an opportunity to change the focus of our church. We, we were at that time, again, when I describe us as a, as a typical Canadian church, we were very inward focused, I would say. You know, we kind of believed that we existed just for ourselves. Let's hold services again next week and, and so on. And what began to be birthed out of this was a real driving passion and heart to impact our community, to really extend the gospel out into the community and to serve our community. And I think that was the third transformation that took place, not only with us individually, not only in our church, but it began to change our community. And again, I can't go into all the details here now, except to say, Andy, that what God began to do in us individually and in our church, it changed our community. I can think of, uh, we faced two or three citywide tragedies while I was there. And the the role of the church to be a true servant to the community was unparalleled at, at, at that time. And it was essentially because we had been trained and equipped in biblically-based, faith-based leadership at that time. It really changed everything. Now, the footnote to all of this, and I emphasize this was a, a, a footnote, not the driving factor on this, was that our church grew tremendously. Uh, at the beginning of this process, we were a, like I said, an inward-focused church of about 300, and within a few years, we were a dynamic, relevant, outreach-focused church of about 2,500. And, mm-hmm. um, but again, I can, I can, I can attest that none of us were enamored by or driven by that. That was simply, you know, if you read in in Acts chapter two, when when the when that early church in Jerusalem embraced this God-given vision. You'll know that right at the end of the chapter that Luke writes, and God added daily those who were being saved. And that's what we began to see here as well. That was not the driving factor. That was the result of all of this. That's wonderful to hear, Scott. Um, I mean, you've served with Willow Creek Association, now Global Leadership Network, and now you head up international ministries. Um, And you mentioned the summit earlier. Some some listening may not be familiar Mm -hmm. with the summit, so give you a chance to to describe how the summit is is part of that uh, the global leadership network as it exists now, and and the, some of the things that had transformed you and continue to transform people as they as they attend either now online or or in person. Sure. Uh, one thing I'll just I'll just quickly clarify that um, in fact uh, we've we've undergone sort of a reorganization of, of the ministry, and in fact. Yes, I my title, as you pointed out, is Vice President of International Ministries. There are actually three of us now who hold that role because what has happened when the summit began, and what the summit is, it's an annual uh, leadership conference, okay, uh, that is designed certainly to equip the church, but increasingly its purpose is to see transformational impact take place in all sectors of our society as well. Because what we recognize is that uh, God has placed his people not only making a difference in the church, but in many cases, it's in their business, it's in government, it's in the judiciary, it's in education, and so on. And so where God has positioned the summit 
is a place to equip these people wherever God has placed them to make that kind of transformational impact. So in 1995, when this conference began, it was a single event based here in Chicago. It happened to be at Willow Creek Church. Uh, today, we are in 130 countries around the world. The event is translated into 60 languages now. And uh, pre-pandemic, it was impacting more than 400,000 people around the world. Numbers aren't quite as high right now in the pandemic season, but that's what it's been like. Now, I mentioned all of that to point out as well that I'm now one of three uh, vice presidents who helped to lead the international, uh, the international charge. But that gives you a sense of the scope. And I think very importantly to understand as well is that uh, it has a very clear and distinct UK uh, focus as well. And uh, this is not some uh, expansive, what I would call typically American global enterprise, far, far from it. Uh, we are a, ra a rather small team of servants based here in Chicago who help equip and serve partners around the world. And in fact, in answer to the, the question, I guess, of, of my role in all of this, I really see that uh, what, what sort of gets me up every day in the morning is a mission to find others around the world who share the same heartbeat, the same vision, the same passion, to see the same kind of transformation happen that I described back in, in my hometown in Canada, to see others who have that same vision and passion in their communities and in their countries and so on. When they do, and our example in the, uh, in the UK is Roger Fairhead, and uh, he leads the, the summit in the United Kingdom. And, you know, a typical conversation as I had with Roger, which I would have with, with uh, people around the world, is to try to discern what God is doing in their heart and what is their vision of transformation in their country. And when I sense a kind of a shared heartbeat on that, that's when we say, you know what, the Global Leadership Summit could be a tool that could help you see happen in your country, what's happened in my country and in my city and in other countries around the world. So what I really do then and what we really do is take on, I trust, a, a true uh, posture of a servant. I like to imagine myself with a white towel over my arm and to say to Roger in the UK and to the board in the UK and when in, in Australia and in Kenya and in South Africa and in China and in India, how can we serve you in bringing this kind of transformation in your country, in your context, through the Global Leadership Summit. Oh, that's great to hear. And just, just so you know, Scott, this, this radio show in part comes out of the Defining Moments tapes with Nancy mm. Beach back in the day, sure. which I used to listen to as a member of Willow Creek Association UK. Huh. And, and I had opportunity to start the radio show because I was a journalist in uh, a premier, premier radio, and they, uh, I resurrected a a show on leadership so um, oh that's wonderful that's, you know so that's been part of my heartbeat for 15 years or so uh, that's you know, so terrific thank you for the the inspiration of you guys <laughs> so um i'm just interested in the uh, the ch the challenge of the international communication side of of leadership um mm -hmm. you know cuz cuz you there are different mindsets on leadership across the world <laughs> uh, you know with with some of the very autocratic some with very laissez faire and I just wonder how you find that whole process and how it's how the the summit type material is received in the different nations that you work with. Sure, that's a, it's a great question and a very astute observation as well. Because you're right, the very concept of of leadership 
has different forms based on culture, based on history, based on language, based on, on, on a number of factors. And I think the, the best way to address that, it, it sort of looks at the same question. How did this event go from a single place in Chicago in 1995 to this global thing? And, and how does that work? Part of the answer to that, I think, is the fact that this is not an export from Chicago or from the United States. This is very much a culturally uh, adapted experience that is owned by people within that country and they take on the challenge and the opportunity of doing exactly what this question uh, implies, which is how do we make this relevant here? And what our partners typically do is they, they contextualize it in a, in a number of ways. So the event happens every year in August here in Chicago. That's still sort of the, the home base, if you like. And it takes place on August 6th and 7th this year in, in Chicago. Well, what happens immediately after that is that our partners from around the world, so this is true in the UK and this is true from everywhere else, they study the content that emanated from the event here in Chicago and then that was then broadcast across the United States. And there would be on average, say 12 to 14 speakers uh, who would speak at the conference here. One of the first questions that our partners are asking as they're experiencing the August summit is, which of these speakers are going to be the most relevant and impactful in our cultural context and which ones can we perhaps take a pass on and that's entirely up to them we'll provide some coaching and some ideas but these are our local national decisions that, that are made secondly what our partners will do is if there's a a gap if there's a topic or a theme or or, or a subject that has not been raised in the in the summit that they believe needs to be addressed in their country, they'll add it themselves. And so they'll use a, a local speaker to speak to an issue that we simply didn't get to in, in our conference. And then thirdly, and I think this is really, if I can use the term, the, the secret sauce that, that really makes it work, is a local facilitation and local process time. So in other words, at the end of almost every talk at the summit that would take place again in the UK or anywhere else, and this is true whether the event uh, it takes place live and in person or if it's digital and online, just depending on where we are with the pandemic at, at any given moment. At the end of every talk, a local trained facilitator comes to the platform and essentially has a, con a conversation with those in, in attendance, those participating in that event. And the, the basic question is, this topic, this talk that we just heard, how does that relate to our country? How does that relate to your organization? How does that relate to you? Let's have a conversation about this. And suddenly you, you've got something that maybe was initially addressed at the biggest possible global kind of level and it becomes very personal. What does this mean to us? I think Andy, one of the times where I really saw the power of this approach was I attended one of our events in um, Nagpur, India a number of years ago. And one of our speakers that year that they actually used in their event was Jack Welch, you know, who passed away a few years ago, the former uh, CEO of General Electric, you know, one of the most powerful, influential business leaders in the world. Now, you, you might think, how in the world would someone like Jack Welch, at the level that he can teach at in terms of leadership, how does that relate to, in essence, rural India? Well, the answer is the facilitation and the process time. You know, at the beginning of the talk, the facilitator in even introducing this talk that the audience was about to see said, now you're going to now hear from a very influential leader from the United States, a corporate leader, 
And he said he is going to talk about three topics which are very relevant to the issues that we are facing right here in Nagpur. And then he outlined what those current local issues are. And he challenged the audiences to say, now listen for these points that he makes. We're going to have a conversation about it afterwards. That then went into uh, Jack Welch's talk. And then afterwards, they, fit, they carried on the conversation. Said, now let's talk about this. And they had group discussions and so on. Highly relevant to take these global corporate concepts into down to something very personal, very relevant, very culturally real in that context. I think that's why this has worked so well globally around the world. No, that's that's really helpful. And I've obviously experienced from the UK end that mm. happening without kind of knowing what had gone on behind the scenes mm. to what I was seeing. So so just finally, um, I appreciate your, you know, you're based in Canada, but you're overseeing international ministries. Uh, and what you know of the UK and it's it's the next stage for the UK. Um, as far as the summit is concerned yeah, in the UK. Yeah. So the the we have a fantastic staff and board in, in the UK. I'm very proud of them. And uh, I get to serve as a member of the board, sort of an adjunct uh, uh, member just to, to help bring a global perspective into what they're doing. And uh, as with everyone else, the, the primary, one of the primary issues that the, the UK team has been wrestling with this year and last is how do we deliver this content in a season when we simply can't gather together? You know, and that's the, that's the sad reality in the UK and most parts around the world right now. And so this year, as last year, the, the, uh, the delivery mechanism will be primarily online this year. To the degree to which it's possible with social distancing and so on, we always recommend that people try to experience this in groups and in teams. But again, that's something that has to be determined within the, the regulations and the, the health and safety uh, considerations in the UK at any given time. In some cases, it means people will have to simply sit at their computer or at their television you know, and, and stream it in that way. We certainly hope that they can gather in some sort of fashion with a few people. It, it just makes the experience that, that much more rich. So plans are very much underway right now for the event that will take place later on this fall. And uh, we certainly trust that many, many people from across the country will accept the invitation to be a, a part of this and to be a part of something not only, again, transformative within the context of the UK, but here's what I always find the, the powerful uh, paradox almost of this. It's a distinctly UK experience, but a person always knows when they're participating that they're a part of something truly global. You know, they're a part of a movement that is impacting uh, brothers and sisters in Christ across Russia, across China, across India, across South America. There's something very powerful about all of that. And yet here we are seeing this relevantly impacting us right here in the UK. And, and so we just hope many, many people will take advantage of this opportunity. Well, Scott, thank you so much for all you shared today, both of your own journey, but also enthusing about the, the way in which this work can impact the UK too. So thank you. Thank you very much. was my conversation with Scott Cochran from Global Leadership Network. He spoke of the importance of leadership training and development in the local church and elsewhere and how that had impacted him uh, back in the day as an executive pastor. And you may want to think of the Global Leadership Summit in the UK yourself, perhaps, this coming autumn, or maybe another leadership conference or ministry. But the message today is to do something that can help those you serve with to get thinking and praying about what God may be looking 
to do amongst you. Working something soon could be a key step that you take in moving things on. I look forward to your company next time. May God give you grace for this next season. The Leadership Show with Andy Peck. Email andy.peck at premier.org.uk.